Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles out. That's what we're here for this morning. Of course, the music is very important. I think it brings us closer to God. It helps us. It helps prepare our hearts for the message, and that's why we're here this morning. So take your Bibles and turn to. I want you to turn to two places, if you will. Turn to Psalm one twenty-two and Hebrews chapter ten. Psalm one twenty-two and Hebrews chapter ten. Uh, I was. I get all kinds of stuff to my email uh, address just because of different things that I've subscribed to, uh, most of them ministry related. And, and somebody put out a, um, I don't even know what you'd call it exactly, like a little, what's the most bizarre thing that's ever happened while you were preaching? And a lot of people answered back, and, and I, I was reading through some of these, and I thought, boy, could you imagine? A really loud bell dinged, the pianist got up and started playing. I preached for 15 more minutes and sat down. <laughs> I guess there's a bell in the back that said, it's time to be done. How about this one? A guy stopped the service and asked us to pray that Jeff Gordon not win the race that day. <laughs> Speaking of, I think NASCAR is supposed to be running today. First, first uh, whatever you call it, sports, sporting event. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you, see you tonight. How about this one? Um, uh, I was preaching with my phone on the pulpit for keeping time, and I said the word serious, to which Siri answered, how may I help you? <laughs> I've had that happen before, believe it or not. I don't keep my phone on, but I keep it under here just in case. You never know what would happen. And I've said something like that before, and Siri pops up. You know, the crazy thing is, I try, I've tried to use Siri for years, and it never works right until you don't want it to work, and then all of a sudden it pops up, and you're like, what were you listening to, you know? Uh, how about this? One, one, uh, one event happened uh, was when an old man answered his phone and started talking loudly. This didn't just happen once, but twice. He said, I can't really talk now. The preacher is preaching. What? I can't hear you. Speak up. <laughs> oh, you can just see that happening, huh? How about this? A lady took a big drink of ranch dressing on the second row because, as she said, it keeps my throat from drying out. <laughs> there you go. There's a new remedy for you. How about that, huh? Uh, here's one that I thought was pretty funny, too. Church member came in mid-sermon looking for his lost cell phone in one of the pews. I stopped preaching and asked if I could help him. Yeah, I lost my phone. Would you mind helping me look for it? <laughs> we didn't find it. He left. We all left, and I finished preaching. <laughs> uh, last one. I thought this was pretty funny. Or actually, actually, two more. I was preaching a wedding. A lady in overalls with a buzz cut and a smoker's voice kept yelling that she objected as a joke. I ignored her, but the groom finally said, shut up, Aunt Bertha. <laughs> um, uh, how about this one? Our church, uh, oh no, here, here is this one here. <clears throat> in college, I was preaching to a student ministry with two students in attendance, and both of them got up to use the restroom at the same time. <laughs> he said, I continued preaching to the empty room. No one responded to the message that night. <laughs> How about that? I'm glad we don't have an empty room. And that's what we did for the first little bit here when we were trying to do the live stream and everything else. And preaching to an empty room is a whole lot harder than you think it is. But I'm glad that we're here. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Perhaps David said it best in Psalm 122 in verse number 1, and he said this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, when I was still living at home, uh, that's where I wanted to be the most. Um, I, I loved going to my friends' houses and stuff, but I wanted them to come to my house. I wanted to be home. Uh, we loved being at home, and we had, we had so much fun at home. I, the older I got, the more I just wanted to be home. I wasn't, I wasn't turning into a, a hermit. Um, I, I liked 
going out. I like being with my friends and everything else. I just like being home more than just about any other place. And a lot of that's due to the atmosphere that my parents created in the home. That's the atmosphere that I'm trying to create in our home where, where the kids just want to be home. Uh, good children are happy to go home, glad to hear their parents call them there. I think David's heart is exactly in that place when it was set on the worship of God. Uh, and he was delighted when he found other people invited him to go to where his desire was already at. David was glad, he said, when they invited him to come into the house of the Lord. Uh, he wasn't aggravated by the invitation. He didn't roll his eyes and say, they want me to go to that place again. No, he was glad to go into the house of the Lord, glad to go into holy company, glad to find good men and women willing to go worship the Lord with him. You see, those who love the Lord will love his house. They'll, they'll go there every chance they get, every opportunity they have to be there. No language should be more welcome in this weary world than to hear someone say, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that's exactly what David was saying. That ought to make our hearts glad. And I'm glad that the pressure on and the prayers against these mandates that our governor has put on and has finally forced him to reconsider and at least allowed churches to meet to a degree. Um, it's still something that the government should not be messing with, but at least we've been giving back some of our freedoms. You know, but early on, um, the church was basically declared non-essential. They came out with their list of all their restrictions and everything else. Essential businesses were allowed to continue opening. They were allowed to continue uh, doing business and everything else. Non-essential businesses were closed. And the church was not listed on that list of essential places that needed to stay open. And I, I, I mean, I, you go to Lowe's, you go to Walmart, and you see just how packed that place is. You know, a lot of states are actually saying that, that churches couldn't even do drive-in services. And here you go to Walmart, and cars are, are just packed in there, and people are getting out right next to each other, getting out right next to each other, and walking into the store and everything else. And you're going to say that a church is... It can't do that. And of course, you know, the federal government came back and kind of said, no, that's not constitutional. And that eased up a little bit. But there was lots of places that were getting fines and, and tickets and everything else for trying to meet however they could meet in church and not even meeting in the building. And let alone the fact that, you know, uh, I'm telling you, probably two weeks ago, I went to Walmart on a Saturday afternoon. And that place, I mean, not Walmart, Lowe's. And it was so packed. I have never, I always, you know, I, I, have, I get wood. I build these tables and everything else, and so I always bring my trailer with me, and I have to take two spots up. I've never had this happen before where there was not even enough spaces for me to take two parking spaces at the end of the parking lot to go get into Lowe's. It was so packed inside that people were rubbing shoulders with each other in the aisles. I have never seen Lowe's that packed. And I, and I get it. You know, everybody's stuck at home. They're out there trying to get stuff so they can do things in their house and everything else. But you can't tell me that Lowe's is essential and that you can go to Lowe's and not get a disease, but you can't, you, you know, you're going to get it if you sit in church. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that brought up issues with that and, and everything else. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to rail against this, you know, these mandates and things like that. But the church was considered non-essential. And lots of churches across the country are actually still on lockdown. A friend of mine is a pastor in Chicago, and they're, they're still under this mandate to stay at home and everything else. They're planning, two, two guys, two friends of mine that are pastors in different areas in Chicago are planning to get together and meet today um, directly in violation of the governor's orders and directly in violation of the mayor's orders, and, and she, 
the mayor has promised that she is that there will be retributions for them doing this. And so we're praying for them. We're praying that 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 uh, nothing serious would come of it. But I know that all across the country in all of these states, I think it was something like 3,500 churches or something across the country in states where the lockdown is actually. Uh, still in place, and they're not allowed to meet in any way. 3,500 churches are, are meeting against their governor's orders. And so we need to pray for those churches. I mean, it's, it feels like you're in a communist, you know, communist China. You've got to go underground to be able to meet, you know? Uh, and it should never be that way. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the church is essential. Now, Brian mentioned this in the message that he preached the other night. Uh, or last Sunday night, and I, I had seen a video clip about two and a half minutes long, I guess, of a, of a pastor, uh, African-American pastor, actually getting up and preaching in his service, and he basically said that the church has made itself non-essential, and he's exactly right. Uh, we've declared ourselves to be non-essential by not showing up for church, by skipping for the simplest things, and just generally taking the ability to meet for granted, and, and many of us are guilty of that. Not so much in this church, but across our country and across the world, for that matter, we've taken church for granted. What you must know this morning is that the church is essential. And I want to take a few minutes to give you three reasons why the church is essential. Let's pray, and then we'll look at these things this morning. Father, we do love you. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for each person that has come out and showed up here in church this morning. And God, I pray for those that are not able to be here because they are sick or because they have other issues that are going on. God, I pray that you'd help them to be able to get back together soon as well. And God, I pray that you'd bless our time together this morning. I pray that you'd use the message in our hearts to help us be what you want us to be. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to look at, as we look at this idea that the church is essential, that we'd realize that we are the church and therefore we are essential for doing the work of God. I pray that you'd bless the message this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you, first of all, this, that the church is essential for the gospel. The church is a lighthouse in this community. The church is a lighthouse in this community. That sounds like a good thing. It sounds like we'd have people constantly rolling in, looking for answers, constantly looking for guidance. But that's often not the case, especially in this, this self-centered, anti-God society that we're living in today. The captain of a ship looked into the dark night, and he saw a light in the distance, and immediately he... Guys, the captain of a big ship, the furious, he sent another message. Alter your, alter your course, and degrees to the south. I'm a captain. course, 10 degrees to the north. I'm a seaman in third class Jones. The captain sent a final message. Alter your, alter your course, 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. You got to reply back. Alter your course, 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. So many people are stubbornly refusing the lighthouse, but that doesn't take away the purpose or the responsibility of the lighthouse. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, you don't need to turn over there, but the Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If someone chooses to ignore it, then that's their decision, and they have to face the consequences for ignoring that, for ignoring that lighthouse, for ignoring the gospel. But you never know who out there is still looking for the truth. You never know who out there is uh, uh, looking for answers, and if they come looking for the lighthouse and the lighthouse is gone, then we have failed them miserably. How sad for those who do come into church and hear the gospel and reject it. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 10. I had you turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, 
And verse number 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, it may not be that, that somebody who rejects the gospel deliberately says, No, I don't want the gospel. It may just be that they are nonchalant or through neglect or through indifference. They walk out without accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 26, For if we sin willfully... After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Should a man reject the message of the gospel, he would have rejected deliberately the only atonement that's been made for sin. There is not going to be another atonement. There's not going to be another redemption. Jesus Christ died on the cross once and for all, and if we reject the atonement that Jesus Christ gave by dying on the cross and shedding his blood so that we can repent of our sins and turn to him in faith, then we reject the only course of action that we have to keep us out of hell and to give us an eternity in heaven. And he says, if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. In other words, if we reject it, if we turn away from it, after we've received that knowledge, there remains no more sacrifice for a sin. It's like a man that would reject the only medicine that could heal him or, or push away a boat that could get him off of a deserted island. The sacrifice that was made for sins by our Redeemer is never to be repeated. And if it's deliberately rejected, the soul must be sentenced to spend an eternity in hell. But he continues in verse number 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What a scary thought. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you prepared to fall into the hands of an angry God? If you know someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, are you willing to allow them to fall into the hands of an angry God? Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, preached that message that became known around the world and is still read widely today, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And as he preached that message, and by the way, Jonathan Edwards was not known to be an orator. Jonathan Edwards was not known to be a fiery speaker. In fact, what they say is that for the most part, Jonathan Edwards read just about every word of his message. But the words that he preached were so powerful, they said that many times sinners would be standing on the edge of their, sitting on the edge of their seats, grasping with white knuckles the pew in front of them, afraid that they were going to slip into an eternal hell. Because it's a, it's a serious thing to reject the message of the gospel. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I want you to notice in Psalm 122, the word that David used was not go into the house of the Lord. He said, let us go into the house of the Lord. It almost seems as if David found a, a double joy in going to the house of the Lord because he had others who were going with him. David was not only glad that he could go with the others, but he, is, he was glad that they had invited others to go with those others into the house of the Lord. It's good for men and women to, it's good for men and women to be in church. And if it's good for us to be in church, then it must be double good for us to be in church with somebody else that we've invited to the church, to the house of God. And what a shame it would be for a church 
that has stopped preaching the gospel for fear of offending someone or for fear of, of not being liked. I pray that it will never be said of this church that someone came in looking for answers, that someone came in needing to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and didn't hear how they could know for sure that they could be saved. And may it never be said of us that you knew someone who was not saved and never shared the gospel with that person. The church is essential, and it's essential for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But secondly, the church is essential for holiness. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23. Let us hold fast, he says, the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Perhaps you could say the same thing. I have such a desire to be holy, to preach on holiness. So little in this world is still holy and sacred. So little. Everywhere you turn in our society, there's evidence of a lack of holiness. Abortion. Homosexuality, two things that used to be preached against by society at large are now being accepted everywhere you turn. And not just in society at large, but in churches. The sacredness of marriage is all but gone. And now the majority of people just shack up for years before they finally leave each other or decide that they're going to get married. The pornography industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, not only in, in the world, but in our country. Men used to watch their language, especially around women and children, and so did women, by the way. Women used to be embarrassed to be seen in their homes wearing a whole lot more than a lot of them wear out in public. And I'm telling you this, I am 100% convinced, 100% convinced that the reason our society is moving farther and faster away from God than it ever has before is because of what the church is doing. The church is moving farther and faster away from God than it ever has before. It used to be that most people attended church and were at least a little bit hesitant to act the way that they do today. Now the church is no different than going to a rock concert or to a self-help talk. So what would make someone even want to go to church? Why not just go to the rock concert or to the self-help talk? If the church is not even offering an alternative to the world and to a lack of holiness, why would anyone ever care to step inside the church building? If we're no different, then why would they even want to come? It used to be that pastors were respected in society, even if they weren't liked. Now you can't even tell who the pastors are because they blend in with the rest of the world. It used to be that you could tell who were the church-going folks by the way that they looked and acted and talked, and now you can't even pick them out of a lineup. I'm not on a rant against all the things that I don't like. I'm trying to show you that the church has moved away from the holiness that she once embraced and that she once loved. We've moved away from those things. Oh, times are changing. Things are different than they, are, than they used to be, and they are. Things are different than they used to be. But that just because they're different doesn't make it better. If it's moving away from holiness and if it's moving away from a, an obvious love for God, then it's not better. It's worse. And I'm not against technology. I, I use it. I like it. But so often that's pushing us away from God instead of pushing us toward him. How often do we spend time in front of the television instead of in, in, in front of the Word of God? How often do we spend time on our phones instead of on our knees in prayer? And I'm guilty of it too. We do it. We just, we just get absorbed into those things. And it pushes us away from God. It pushes us away from holiness. And it's not the liberal media who's to blame for the condition of our country. It's not the liberal politicians who are to blame for uh, the condition of our country. It's the church who is to blame. 
The church is essential for holiness, and we have dropped the ball. What we need and what America needs is for the church to come back to God. Turn over to Isaiah 55. While you're turning there, I'm going to read, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a verse that you're very familiar with that probably most of us could quote, but 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And the, the key to that verse is found in the first three words of that verse. If my people. He doesn't say if society would stop being bad. If the devil would just get out of the world and start you know, doing his own thing instead of tempting people to do wrong. No, he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying that God's people are not doing that. Because if they would start, then this would happen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. That means we're full of pride. And pray it means we're not praying the way we should. And seek my face means we're not seeking his face the way that we should. Because if we would do those things, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know what the problem with America is today? Us. The church. Christians. God's promised that he'll heal their land if we would turn back to him. Isaiah 55 and verse number 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Jeremiah 26 and verse 13, Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. Remember that city on a hill that I talked about earlier? That's us. That's the church. But what is the church? Is it four walls with a roof? Is it a sign out front or a steeple? Is that what makes the church a church? Is it a parking lot full of people who... who, who Fill a building up? No, you can have that anywhere. You can have that at the convention center. You can have that at a concert. You can have that at a race. You can have it at any kind of sporting event. That doesn't make a church a church. A church is made up of people. You and I are the church. That's you. That's me. That's who the world ought to be able to look to to see how they should act and live. A young lady was attempting to defend her attendance at a questionable place of amusement and she told her friend that she thought a Christian ought to be allowed to go anywhere that a Christian wants to go and her friend said you certainly can but I remember a little incident that happened last summer when I went with a group of friends to explore a, a coal mine and one of the girls that was with them in the in that group showed up in a white dress and her friends kind of chided her for it and said you're not going to go down in the coal mine in a white dress are you and the old miner that was there that was kind of going to be acting as their guide down into the coal mine, she turned to him and she said, I can wear a white dress down into the mine, can't I? And he said, yes, ma'am, you can. There's nothing to keep you from wearing a white dress down there. But I can almost guarantee you that there's going to be a whole lot of th things to keep you from wearing a white one out. And, you know, there's nothing that prevents a Christian from bringing his good testimony into any other place in this world, good or bad. But there's a lot of things to keep them from bringing it back from questionable places. 
You see, holiness is simply thinking as God thinks and wanting what God wants. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. The problem is that so few Christians today are willing to part with their sin. The problem is that, that they're unwilling to change their comfortable lifestyle. They're unwilling to stand out and be looked at as different. 1 Peter chapter 2, very plainly talking to Christians, says, But ye are a chosen generation. Why? Not because God, God called you out to be saved and didn't call other people out to be saved, but you are saved, and being a Christian, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, he says, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are supposed to be a peculiar people. Well, I don't want people to think that I'm weird. They already think that I'm weird enough because I go to church. They already think that I'm weird enough because I don't drink. And they already think that I'm weird enough because I don't smoke and I don't do drugs and I don't do things that would be harmful to my body. Well, there's a lot of athletes that do that because they don't want to do something that's going to be harmful to them while they're working. That doesn't make them a good Christian. We could do those things if we want to, but we are a peculiar people. There ought to be things that set us apart. There ought to be things that show that we are different from the world that God has called us out of. We're called to be different from the world. And when everything that we do blends right in, and when somebody sees you in society and can't tell the difference between you and anybody else, then there's a problem. When you can, when, when you can go to church and people can't tell the difference between church and any other place, then there's a problem. We ought to be different. We're called to be different because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royalty acts differently, don't they? Oh, I'm sure that sometimes those kings would have loved to just throw their robe off and go be who they wanted to be. But you know what? They were born into royalty. They were born different. And because of that, they couldn't just go do whatever they wanted to do. They couldn't just go blend into society. There was something different about them. And the way that they acted and the way that they talked and the things that they did and the way that they handled themselves proved that they were a royal. And boy, that's exactly what God has said in this verse that we are. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. We are a peculiar people, and that ought to make us act like peculiar people. We don't have to be weird to be peculiar, but we ought to be different. And if that means that the world makes fun of us, then so be it. The world probably will make fun of us from time to time. But you know what's going to happen? They're going to respect you for standing up for what you believe in. They're going to know that you're a Christian. They're going to know that there's something different about you. And when everything goes to pot, guess who they're going to come to? Because they know that you have the answers. And isn't that why we're here? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing on this earth? When you see yourself for who you really are, Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. When you see yourself for who you really are, and when you see God for who he really is, and you can't help but be moved toward holiness. Until that happens, you'll be comfortable with the status quo. Status quo Christianity, and nothing's ever going to change. You live your life blending in with the godless, Christless 
world as best as you know how until you stand before God someday. And then, then it's going to be too late. Then you wish you had done more to be holy. Then you wish you had given him so much more. You wish you could give up everything for the cause of Christ. But it'll be too late. We could speak on this for hours, but I must be moving along. The church is essential for the gospel. The church is essential for holiness. And lastly, the church is essential for fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Boy, if we could, we could preach a whole message on those couple verses right there. The purpose of fellowship in the church is to exhort one another, to love God more, to provoke each other, to love, to provoke each other to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He says, the closer the day of the Lord is coming, the closer we get to when he comes back. And I, I mean, if this didn't scare you into thinking that Jesus Christ could come back at any minute, then I don't know what's going to but to provoke us, to love him more, to provoke us, to look for his appearing, and to do it more and more and more and more because his appearing is drawing closer. I'm so glad to be able to be back in fellowship with, with, with godly people. We take that for granted so often, and it, and it seems that we don't often realize what we have till it's gone. After the first couple of weeks of this virus, before we were able to start doing the drive-in services and at least seeing each other in, in a small way, I just, it just felt like my whole life was off. You know, I just longed to be back in fellowship with all of you. Psalm 133. In fact, turn over there. We're coming to a close, but I want you to see these verses in Psalm 133. Verse number one. Psalm 133 and verse number one. The psalmist says this, Behold how good. And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. He's comparing brethren dwelling together in unity to a blessing from the Lord to life forevermore. Christian fellowship is a beautiful thing. In order to help you live a holy life, you need to be around other men and women of God as often as you can. You need church. We don't open the doors on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening just to, uh, to you know, so give you options so you can pick which one you want to come to. We do that because we need the preaching. I need the preaching. And we do it so we can get a reprieve from being around the Christless, godless generation that's threatening to drown our souls in the muck. We need to come away. We need to be refreshed in the word of God and in the fellowship of the saints. Those who are saved are going to spend an eternity in worship and fellowship around the throne of God. We're just getting started a little early. I want you to understand this morning, beyond any doubt, the church is essential. If you have to ask the government if you can hold church, if you have to ask the government if you can conduct a wedding or a funeral or the Lord's Supper, then you're not a church of Jesus Christ. You're a church of the state. 
Our forefathers didn't give us the Constitution to protect the government. They gave us the Constitution to protect the citizens from the government. We were given, not by our Constitution, but by God, the right to worship him the way that he's commanded us to worship him. The Constitution just guarantees us the right that we already have been given from our Creator. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. But all that's just words, just patriotic rhetoric. We're not doing what the church was instituted by Christ to do. We're commanded to spread the gospel, to compel and implore the lost world to come to Christ. We're commanded to be holy, to live separated and godly lives. We are commanded to be in fellowship with the saints. May I leave you with this question this morning. Does your life show that you believe the church is essential? Does your life show that you believe that the church is essential? Because you are the church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time that we've spent together this morning. Oh, what a beautiful thing it is to be able to be back here and to sing together. To read the Bible together. Together around your word. But, oh God, I pray that it would not be just words. I pray that it would be something that would spur us into action. To be a witness for you. To be holy. God, that's what we need more than anything in this world is for Christians just to be Christians, Christ-like. That's what we need more than anything. If the church would start moving back toward holiness, this world would not know what hit it. The church would start moving back toward holiness. We'd see revival. The church would be moved back toward holiness and toward a conviction of their sin world would be changed, and we would really be the lighthouse that we've been called to be. So God, I pray that you'd help us not to be comfortable with the status quo. pray that you'd help us not to be comfortable with living the way that we're living, because we're getting by. We don't, haven't done any big sins lately, haven't been caught. So God, I pray that you would convict our hearts pray that you give us a desire greater than any desire we've ever had to just be holy and to be right with you. I thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.